Hello, and welcome to episode three of What's on the Pile, the podcast we use as an excuse to watch all the movies we haven't seen but need to. I'm Nathan Besner, and joining me is Don Wells, Shane Lee, and Andy Jenner. Uh, This week, incest is best with Old Boy, the 2003 Park Chan-wook film that kind of defies categorization. Is it a drama? A mystery? Action? Why not all three? Based on the manga by Garen Tsuchiya and Nobuaki Minigishi, Old Boy tells the pleasant story of a man played by Choi Min-sik on a mission of for vengeance and the explosions of violence along the way. Uh, whose pile was this on? Oh. This is on my pile. All right. I think his name is pronounced Che Min-sik. Thank you. Thank you. I, I did my best with uh, my limited knowledge. I apologize yeah. to the entire country. Uh, so, uh, what did you think? Yeah, so this is the first time I'd seen this. Um, uh, my initial impression was that it was visually very interesting film. I was talking just before we started about how uh, it seems like the director set out to make uh, a Korean film that would not remind anyone of anything that actually exists in Korea, <laughs> both in terms of the people and the way things look uh, and how things operate. I mean, it's just very, uh, it's very distinct. It's very not normal in the sense of uh, what I experience every day or what people experience every day. It doesn't really look like that. Now, some of that is maybe the time change, but some of this, I think, the way he filmed it this like the outdoor scenes or what i was asking nate about they all look weirdly overexposed um but clearly it's clearly intentional so you're coming uh, at this emotionally i i wonder why i watched this movie (laughs) (laughs) why am i supposed to like it (laughs) this is just an initial an initial reaction it's just i mean it's really well done um uh but my my perception as i was watching it is uh the vengeance is not the vengeance of the protagonist, but the antagonist. Yes. <laughs> it's the antagonist who achieves revenge and then kills himself. Uh, so uh, it's very, it's very, uh, it's very unsettling in a, in a story sense because it's, I mean, it's not following, you know, it's not following Western canons. Although you could say, I think you could make a decent case that it does match sort of the expectations of, uh, the tragic uh, 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 arc um, in that, you know, it sort of follows Aristotle's dictum. It arouses pity and fear. And uh, uh, it, it, the whole thing turns on a recognition and a, and a realization of what's going on. So it is kind of tragic in that way. And so it's, you know, it's definitely very interesting. And uh, 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 although my initial reaction was why did I want to watch it in the end, I, I felt like did want to see it again, even though it's incredibly unpleasant emotionally. <laughs> now, but for, I mean, it's supposed to be. for audience members who don't know, you live in Korea. Yeah, that's right. So you get a you get somewhat of a different perspective than the rest of us, I think, uh, living in the country that it came from. Although I I think that this film has almost more in common with a Japanese style than a Korean film style. But Jenner might. <laughs> might think I'm wrong on that. Well, no, I I I, I think you have a point there. Uh, that said, the Korean film style, uh, just in general, or at least the stuff that we get imported over here a lot of the time, has kind of moved in that direction. 
this was sort of the beginning of a major wave of uh, Korean movies, uh, particularly Korean genre cinema, action movies, uh, horror movies, in some cases, science fiction movies, uh, getting uh, uh, schlepped over here where there had been uh, an unfathomably long drought in that regard uh, prior to uh, uh, th this really breaking big. I will so say the most Korean thing about it, uh, uh, <laughs> and this is very much 100% distinct to the culture, is when the brother and sister are uh, doing their thing in the classroom and she pulls out a mirror to look at herself, that is absolutely Korean. I was wondering about that. <laughs> I've, never, I've never been in a culture where people look in a mirror as much as this one, just so, all something. the time. So that's something um, they, they actually do there. I thought maybe that was just a stylistic thing to catch the brother in the mirror. Uh-uh. Or not that the brother, is, the friend in the mirror. That is very, very oddly Korean. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, she, so she was checking her angles. Uh, if, yeah. if it had been if it had been a few years later, she would have been taking a selfie. <laughs> Very likely. Which they do not do in the remake. Oh, no. no. Yeah, sorry. Uh, the, the, remake, uh, the remake is an interesting instance of uh, a movie having the same plot, but being very, very different. Uh, I imagine we'll uh, get to the remake a little bit later. But, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. It's got a different uh, take on on all things, uh, despite uh, having uh, the, uh, the same source. And uh, yeah, so the, the remake is, is very American is kind of a spoiler there, I guess. So I, I've been thinking a lot about this movie and whether or not I liked it. And I think the conclusion I came to is that I like parts of it. I love the cinematography. I think technically it's a very beautiful film. Um, I think a lot of the staging is incredible. Uh, the direction is very good. The acting is very good. But I cannot stand this movie. I just can't yeah. stand it. It's it is relentless in its nihilism, uh, to me. It's it it focuses on violence in almost a cartoonish way, um, almost the the way of of uh, a younger person, which which he was younger when he made this, but. Um, uh, I think as an example, the thing that bothered me the most was the, uh, uh, it was M Mido is the uh, the other character. That's how to pronounce it, right? Mido? Yes. Um, she, at one point in the film, is sexually assaulted. Uh, she is left without her dress on, her shirt is torn, and in the very next scene, that leads to their sex scene to their we love each other moment. And I'm I'm like, okay, now back up a second. You're telling me a sexually assaulted woman is going to be like, yeah, let's get it on now. And then two scenes later, she meets back she's back in her apartment with uh with Desu and um the uh the guys from the uh building where they kidnap him, where they where they keep him, those guys are just hanging out in the apartment. The guys who ostensibly sexually assaulted her and it's like nothing happened. She doesn't even acknowledge their presence. Uh, she's happy. Right. She's happy and fine. And that really bothered me. It made me start to think about the women of the film and how little they're given to do. Well, you know, the, the, the first time she's sexually assaulted by Desu, the very the first time they meet, she immediately afterwards offers herself to him. That's true. I mean, I, I guess that is 
that's the function yeah. of the hypnosis and, and all that stuff. But well, oh, don't yeah, get that, me started that was, on that. <laughs> yeah. That was that was my yeah, that was an issue that uh, in the world of the film you have to accept that hypnosis makes you essentially an automaton. Who's <laughs> <laughs> uh, the prey of others who just tell you what to do and uh, that's just all right. <laughs> that, that one of the things that, uh, that struck me on rewatching this is the movie has a distinct uh, misogynistic streak just in general. Uh, yeah. Pretty much all of the female characters, of which there are, what, two, three, something like that, yeah. pretty much exist not as sort of fully realized characters per se, but as uh, walking plot devices, uh, not to put too fine a point on it. Which does have a certain precedent in some of the uh, streaks of uh, classical American noir uh, or uh, uh, sort of post-noir noir that this felt like it was riffing on sometimes. Uh, there, there's a distinct Mike Hammer quality to this, uh, both in just uh, the abjectness of the violence as well as uh, the complete objectification of, uh, of uh, the female characters. The um, that well, I mean, I, I, well, let's give an example uh, of, of uh, okay, so Mito is his daughter, she doesn't remember her own father's name, yeah, that bugged me too. I mean, <laughs> she's four years old and she doesn't remember my dad was Ode Sue and he kind of looked like this, yeah. Um, I'm not buying it, and I, I had I, to, I don't buy it. No, that you have I mean, to make that's such a real big issue, and it's like nobody even thought of it. <laughs> just very odd by by making the character kind of a plot device she becomes kind of flat she becomes a kind of flat character with without with without any sense of depth oh maybe that's what they wanted but it it i don't know it was well, the, it was kind of odd. the uh the wife in and of herself she doesn't even exist in the film you never even see her not even as a corpse she right, just exists hurt. solely to push the plot along and to right. give Desu a, an emotional reaction. There's a lot of, uh, th there is a lot of misogyny in the film. You're right about that, Jenner. Yeah, no, the, uh, the, the, this, I hate to put it this way. Uh, it, the, the film does smack of a relatively youthful director uh, trying deliberately to push the envelope in, ter in, in terms of edginess kind of for edginess's sake. Uh, so I, I largely agree with you. While uh, the film is pretty faultless uh, from a standpoint of technique, uh, I find it difficult, especially after about the halfway point of the movie, to actually enjoy watching it. Uh, it's another yeah. thing. And a point I'm glad it wasn't just me. <laughs> yeah. No, That's it's about funny. where I was also emotionally like, there's there's an hour more. I yeah. think I think because when I saw it, I saw it when it first came out, so I was much younger then. I think it was 2003, so I was maybe 23. So I guess I was younger and more edge lordy at the time, and so I do have a fondness. I, I do agree with everything you guys are saying about the misogyny and how relentless it is. It it almost has a nostalgia for me, uh, mm. because it that... was. No, go ahead. Oh well, see back back in the day, you know, it was a lot harder to see foreign film foreign films and uh, independent films. So, about once every couple of months, I would go down to DC to the Landmark Theater and do like a double feature and bring friends with me if they if they would come along. I think I saw this with my other friend, our other mutual friend Andy. 
so it was always just like a cool outing to go see this cool new movie that uh, you know everyone's talking about and that I had to go out of my way to go see. So I definitely came away from that viewing with rose-colored glasses. And I think I've seen it two or three times since. And, you know, I like it a little bit less each time, but I still have some fondness for it. I mean, I will go into, I can go into more detail later, but um, as we discuss certain aspects of the film. But, uh, you know, I still enjoyed it. I found a lot to like about it. also found a lot of it repugnant and hard to sit through. I, I did feel, more than any other previous viewing, I did come away from the movie... I think I watched it again late last late, late Sunday night, right before bed, and I went to bed feeling really awful, having just watched this movie and sat through it, feeling emotionally like just in a really bad place, and thinking, "Wow, I've never felt that way, for, you know, before after seeing this movie." I, I refer to that as the straw dogs effect. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I will have to say that the morning after I watched it, I I, rem- I very distinctly remembered, even though I already forgot what happened that I had three cool dreams that night. <laughs> they were very cinematic. <laughs> but I, I attribute it just to the visual excellence of the film rather than the emotional, uh, let's just say, repugnance <laughs> of the film. Well, I mean, it, it's an interesting thing worth noting that uh, uh, to some extent, even some of Park Chan-wook's later films uh, function uh, as uh, a, a pretty direct repudiation of some of the more repugnant aspects of it. Uh, like uh, uh, his, the immediate follow-up, uh, Lady Vengeance, which was the uh, conclusion of his quote-unquote revenge trilogy, uh, the first one having been Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, which I personally still haven't seen. Uh, Lady Vengeance, of course, had a uh, a, a female protagonist, uh, and there are bits of Lady Vengeance, which I, I meant to get around to watching again uh, when uh, uh, for this, but I didn't get a chance to. Um, there is at least one moment uh, in uh, in Lady, Lady Vengeance that was so upsetting that the first time I saw it, I actually had to leave the room for a minute. Uh, but at the same time, that had a much stronger uh, 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 sort of take on uh, the female characters. Uh, similarly, um, uh, more la- uh, one of his uh, more recent films that has uh, been very highly regarded is, uh, is a picture called The Handmaiden, which if you haven't seen The Handmaiden, see the handmaiden it's it's gorgeous it's glorious uh it's it's a legitimately marvelous movie um and uh again that one centers on two very strong uh female protagonists so it's one of those things where you get the feeling that he kind of well he tried to pull back from uh, from the misogyny and in that regard uh good on him um the movie does, uh, going back to what you said about uh, uh, some of the outdoor scenes, particularly seeming uh, uh, solarized, the thing about this movie is it is relentlessly focused on uh, Odesu's, uh perspective on things. So if he's seeing his surroundings as you know, over-solarized because he's been in a room for 15 years, uh, the, the whole movie has an aspect of kind of uh, a, a raw and worried upon nerve to it. Uh, which right. is sort of uh, an integral integral to the character, but also as the uh, uh, the sense of, right. as you said, uh, flattening out uh, sort of everything that's going on around him. And I, I'd actually like to push back a little. I don't. I would not call this movie misogynist. I, I what I would say is it's so focused on it on its character, Odesu, and it's so focused on the structure of the plot that what it does is it forgets the female character. It does not develop them. 
It doesn't well, hate them. It doesn't hate women. But what well, it does what, is it just sort of ignores them <laughs> to a certain degree. I think there is a difference there. And I think you know, what he probably you know, did in that later film is he said, wait a minute, there are women who have agency who are interesting. Let's bring them in, you know. Uh, for, forgive me if I if I wasn't uh, altogether cl clear on this. I am I am not saying that the film is misogynistic. It's just the film right. has a lot of misogyny in it. Uh, right. There is, and and fundamentally that still comes back to the responsibility of the artists behind it. Uh, it, it it is an aspect of the film. It does not define the film, but there's a lot of it there. And particularly, and I know I keep saying uh, uh, variations on this. Uh, viewing this 2003 film through 2021 eyes uh, can be a very different experience from uh, from seeing it the first time. I uh, I bought the original video release uh, right when it came out in the U.S., which I want to say was about 2004 or 2005. Uh, it, it was uh, it was all uh, like video watchdog, and all of the, uh, the 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 cult circles were 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 talking about at that point. And uh, at the time, like I say, I remember really liking it up until about the hour uh, point and finding it very iffy afterwards. And uh, the, the uh, uh, viewing it again uh, just a little while ago had a lot of the same impression, except I think the stuff that was uh, that, that was impressively edgy uh, at the time, like the stuff that got a sort of a visceral reaction, like uh, the I don't know, the uh, the oceans of blood and the cutting out the tongue and all of that stuff. Uh, <laughs> does not feel as sincere as it may have been, if that makes any sense. I actually felt the, uh, at the end, uh, Oresu felt the most sincere to me in his performance. Um, and that might have to do with uh, that the majority of that was ad-libbed by the, by the actor. Um, a lot of that, that ending, up to and including the tongue, apparently, was his idea. Oh, that's Wait. interesting. It's an interesting aspect that didn't carry over to uh, the uh, to the remake, but uh, uh, did get a little nod in one regard. It was yeah. a, a, a supporting character whose tongue got removed in that case. Uh, of course, allowing that the uh, the, uh, the remake has a very very different ending from uh, this one. As I say, the this one is very Korean, and this was sort of the beginning of uh, of a wave over there, where particularly horror movies. Basically, every movie had a Fight Club ending uh, for a little while there. Uh, stuff like uh, A Tale of Two Sisters, uh, Spider Forest, and uh, some other films that are slipping my mind at the uh, at the point, which I think got a little bit of a pre-echo, as it were, in the uh, the climactic hypnotism scene in this. The idea of dividing it into two parts and killing one of them. The uh, the hypnotism was so silly to me. I just couldn't get over it. I don't think I'll ever be able to get over hypnotism as a plot device. Uh, it reminds me of, of the, the whole split personality plot device that was going, uh, that was all the rage in the U S for a while there, which I guess made it over there as well. Oh, ab ab absolutely. Like I say, there was, uh, about five or six years there where the twist at every, at the end of every movie was fight club that, that was, or at least all of the ones that made it over here. Um, to the point where, uh, where, where if I was watching a Korean horror movie at the time, I, I, I was thinking, okay, uh, uh, how are they going to play the fight club in this one? <laughs> uh, so where it became a question, not of what the twist was, but how, uh, uh how effectively or ineffectively it was going to get executed. Uh, thankfully, I, thankfully, I think they've largely gotten over that trend. Uh, 
uh, it had its day. But uh, this, uh, I don't know, it, it's interesting that you can think of this as, as you said, an action movie, a crime film, uh, has a lot of comic aspects, uh, a, a drama, but it was probably more influential on uh, the stylisms of sort of deeper genre pictures like horror movies uh, than it was on uh, on other Korean action movies, which granted uh, haven't uh, gotten important, uh, imported over here as much uh, as uh, as the horror and occasionally science fiction stuff has. Yeah, I was going to ask if I'm the only one who found this movie funny. Um, oh, yeah. like, there's, there's, there's a lot of solid uh, yeah. dark humor built into it, especially, again, in the first half of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I like the, the constant wide shots where he's shown just lurching and scrambling across the screen. I, you know, it's funny. It also illustrates how he just really is incapable of moving about the open world in a normal way. It's like he's still feeling the ants that he was uh, that he was hallucinating in the in the room, which I had a question about that because, you know, ants crawling, that's a common symptom of withdrawal. So were they, what, what, what were they drugging him with? They showed an injection. Was that supposed to be a thing where he's withdrawing from something? I he's think feeling the ants? I, I, I I'm pretty sure he's an alcoholic. Go ahead. Oh, right. Uh, I was going to say, I think uh, if it was later on, uh, I think that was probably uh, uh, implied to be a pre-hypnotic. I, see, I thought they were uh, also helping him along because he was an alcoholic and it wasn't made entirely clear, but they were trying to clean him up. Might have yeah, been a vitamin shot. Right, exactly. Get some vitamin B in there. <clears throat> yeah, know, that, that bit's a little ambiguous, but uh, definitely they're fucking with this guy's head. It's just the the, the mechanics of it in the early part of the film uh, never really get a hat tip in the later part of the film, aside from just the direct implication that, oh yeah, that happened. Now, how does everybody feel about this as a vengeance film where our protagonist, it turns out, is not the one who gets vengeance. You know, I actually watched all three of the trilogy, uh, the first, the first one and the third one for the first time this past week, and um, the all three of these movies have a kind of twist on the vengeance. Well, the Lady Vengeance, I would say, is a pretty straightforward protagonist is getting revenge tale. The first Mister Vengeance also has a very sort of oblique, twisted. It's it's very not confusing, but it's. They're sort of getting revenge at right angles to each other. Um, I think that's a common thread, maybe that he's like I would I would describe um, Mr. Vengeance as two trains, you know, a train wreck in slow motion that are also taking down other trains with them. I think what makes Old Boy stand out a little bit, I think maybe why Old Boy is the one that has sort of caught on, is that it's sort of like his protagonist is very single-minded. It is like we've all said, relentless and. And just keeps moving forward in one singular direction. Also, two words: hallway fight. Yeah, the hallway yeah, fight. Too. We're gonna have to talk about that. So let's go ahead and do it. All right. So go for it. the hallway fight, absolutely infamous, is probably the most famous thing about the film. Uh, done all in one take, I believe, with uh, no CGI, uh, no edits, as far as I'm aware, uh, and quite a breathtaking little segment uh although probably looking looking back from 2020 it's now been been uh done over and over by other yeah, I mean, films that's, that, that's the thing is it, it was it i i i know i keep coming back to this it's uh it's like psycho it's so instantly iconic that you know it better by its imitators than you actually know the film itself 
Uh, what? I mean, uh, to, to the point where, I mean, uh, Daredevil, uh, the uh, the uh, uh, the Marvel Netflix TV series practically made a running joke of making sure to riff on it at least once a season. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was joking that if, if Daredevil had gotten to like seven seasons, in season six, one entire episode would have been just one take. Because they got longer, the, the the one take fight got longer every single season. I mean, they were they were glorious. They were a lot of fun. But I figured if they had kept going at some point, it would have tipped. But actually, I read that the uh, the knife in the back was apparently CGI. In, in yeah. Boy. Everything everything else yeah. was one take. It apparently took them three days of rehearsal and doing it over and over to get it quite right because it was it, it looks very improvised and natural, but apparently it was all very vigorously rehearsed and, and choreographed, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, because he's uh, fighting what a dozen and a half guys there, so that's that's some serious blocking at work. Yeah, and does not slaughter them. And he actually gets well, tired. Everybody looks injured. Yeah, everybody's yeah, injured, but nobody everybody's, nobody dies. Everybody's tired and hurting the whole time, which is kind of cool. It's not just a fight where just one person just blazes through everybody. He's in pain the entire time. He could barely stand by the end of it, or even throughout most of it. He's like, I like that they're just sort of throwing sticks at yep. him at some point. Yeah. Ah! Fuck you. Whether literally or figuratively, the only person who gets out of this movie without a limp is the hypnotist. <laughs> That's true. She's just fine with what she's doing. But I mean, yeah, the imprison uh, the imprisonment guy got his hand chopped off by the guy who was paying him. Uh, you know, and his teeth removed. And his teeth removed. Uh, uh, Odesu uh, loses his tongue and a good chunk of his uh, uh, of his uh, of his uh, of his mind. Uh, and his family. And he, Mido has uh, has lots of things that uh, that uh, will doubtless give her eventual PTSD as she goes forward in her beautiful relationship with the guy she doesn't realize and he doesn't realize is her father. So yeah, let's talk about that ending a little bit. Um, is uh, the ending? I what I got from it is he's basically saying wipe my memory so I can continue this awesome sweet relationship with my daughter. That's kind of what I always took from it as well, which is, that's a way of doing that. Well, it's uh, and, the villain. Um, the villain got his revenge. That's exactly what he wanted. He wanted them to be fucking just like he was fucking his sister. Jesus. Well, I don't think that was quite what he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> what did he want? I think that's what he wanted. That's what I got from it. I, well, I don't I, know if he wanted them to continue happily afterwards. <laughs> well, that's true. He probably wanted them to be sad and all broken. And I, I mean, and Odesu so, so, made the ultimate sacrifice. He just has to keep fucking his daughter. Right? Isn't he? Is is he doing it for her, or is he? Is it for peace of mind, or is he doing it for her so she doesn't have to lose him, and then either lose him or or find out the truth and also lose him. Well, briefly bringing up the uh, the remake, that's one thing I found interesting about the ending and the remake, because what ends up happening is Josh Brolin abandons her and says, you'll never see me again, and then just goes back to the building and just lives in a hotel room for the rest of his life, I guess. Which I actually found to be a fairly satisfying ending. Yeah. Uh, it's a thing about, uh, about Old Boy that for some reason... I'm guessing mostly by people who haven't actually watched it. It's kind of held up as the gold standard for pointless Western remakes of Asian movies. <laughs> I thought it was fine. Uh, it, it's not nearly as stylistically daring or funny in spots as uh, as Chan Wook's film, 
Weirdly enough, if anything, they leaned further into the incest aspect of uh, of uh, the uh, the antagonist's uh, uh, family. In that case, it wasn't just his sister; uh, it was uh, his uh, it, it was his, uh, his sister and his father, uh, which led to one extremely alarming shot as the father is killing off the family, uh, and he uh, you know uh, comes into the room where the kid is uh, is uh, lying on uh, on uh, like a, like a couch, uh, you know, hops up with a smile, starts unbuckling his uh, his pants. He goes, uh, and hello, daddy. They, then gets shot in the shoulder uh, uh, before the uh, the father blows his own head off with the shotgun. Uh, so if anything, they lean it, it, again. It's sort of American that they actually leaned further into the squickier aspects of part of the story, but they backed off further from them uh, in the uh, in the resolution. <laughs> no, I know. Again, like What's I say, the I, beginning I, of the film, the beginning of the film, that guy with the little dog. Are they implying that that guy's gay? He was in the film before. He was in the first Vengeance movie, apparently. And he's that's... in all three of them, actually. Oh, he is. Yeah. I... Okay. I do... I haven't seen the other two. Is it doesn't he jump off the building? I I yeah, thought I thought he was gay as then well. You're in the third. No, they're they're not they're not connected story wise. He plays different characters in all three. No, no, oh, he's okay. supposed to play the same character in the first and second one. Oh, then. Okay, because he's a he's alive in the third one. He plays a grieving father in the third one. Uh, oh, it's a different person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Apparently, although in the first in the first one he plays like uh like like a gangster type guy who's in the movie for like two two seconds. Hmm. I don't know. I just read the trivia. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Daisu plays the villain in the third one. Oh, does he? Yeah. Oh. He plays a child killer. Oh. Lovely. Yep. I mean, the reason why I brought that up is because he's there. He's he's going to kill himself. He's got the little dog, so it's sort of a stereotypical sort of character. And then he has that line about uh, you know, even though I'm no better than a beast, don't I deserve to live? Which made me think of Morrissey lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so based on that, you think he's gay? <laughs> I don't know. And he, he acts kind of effeminate. So I'm like, well, I'm wondering, is that what they're implying there? Is it because the guy doesn't want it? Because the other thing is because he comes out of his suitcase. Right? I love that bit, by the yeah. way. A reveal where it's in the grass. Oh, wait, no, it's on top of a building. Uh, uh, but it's the sort of first person he's really interacted with. And he's just like, it's, he has this very intimate, like, putting his hands on him and for the other and the other guy's like ah it's it, just an odd scene but if the guy's gay that reads more interesting to me than if it's just some random guy because you know he's uh he has a he has a sexuality that's causing him problems in the society he lives in to the point that he might be considering suicide. And then this guy just appears and starts becoming very intimate with him. And it's just like, uh, it's almost too much for him to handle. That, uh, that was how I read that scene. I, uh, uh, if, if he is the same character from Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, uh, maybe it's just he's tired of being a gangster. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, that's, that's way less interesting. The, the way I read that scene later as the movie unfolded uh, was that Odesu does not care about anybody's story exactly exactly oh, the yeah. guy has the story odesu has no patience nor time nor temperament for it and that goes all the way to him not finding out who mito is 
he does not find out what her story is. He doesn't even care to. And I think that's foreshadowing. To the point where after he finds out uh, at the end of the movie, he deliberately erases it. Uh, there, there is a distinctive aspect of even after his, the, uh, the, the crucible of his 15 years in a hotel room, uh, he's still very much up his own backside, same as he was before he went in. Now, is he a likable character? At times. His inner monologue, uh, again, uh, provide, uh, the few times that it appeared actually did provide some of the better laughs in the movie. That's true. There are some funny bits in there. And even, I mean, even, I really hate to say this, but that when he tries to sexually assault Mito in the bathroom, that's even played for, for laughs. There's a, there's a comedy sense to it. Comic sense. I think we could forgive a guy who's been in prison for 15 years, uh, uh, getting a little, getting a little handsy. Uh, I'm gonna go by definition, no. <laughs> I'm Wait agree. a minute. Um, uh, I think how we view him sort of depends on <clears throat> what you think he's doing at the end when he's basically praying to the uh, the antagonist not to sort of reveal the thing. To, why is he doing that? Is it for himself or is he trying to protect Mito? Why is I mean, he doing I, I, that? I mean, I think he's trying to protect because he offers his life to, to what's the guy's name? Lee Wu Jin or something like that. You know, he, he offers to just give himself up and give up his humanity for her. So I think that is where he's likable, where he is, even before he finds out who she really is, he's, you know, he's fiercely protective of Mido. Um, it is, you know, having seen the movie before, it is a little weird to watch, but trying to think back, like if he, if he's just some guy and some woman, then it is admirable the way he stands up for her. I mean, he goes in and willingly gets his teeth ripped out. I mean, he, he doesn't, it doesn't happen, but he, he goes after her and, and takes on this whole room full of guys when he finds out that she's being held captive. I mean, I think there's something admirable in that. I would agree with that. I, I think he does have admirable qualities to the point where he absolutely did not deserve this level of vengeance, um, in my opinion. Yeah, do you think Lee Woojin overreacted? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's like I always say, people have their reasons, and those reasons generally suffice for them. Um, Lou, I, I don't know. I, I mean, if he, if he, not, if it's not just that he loved his sister, but he loved his sister, uh, then that probably seems, having identified uh, Odesu as being the guy that he specifically considers responsible uh, for her taking well, role to him well, the way, the way, the way I read it, feels like a perfectly proportional response yeah the, the way i read it is uh it's not but here's what here's what it is it's it's it, it worked for me psychologically uh he's the one who killed his sister right yeah. he lets her go yeah and he clearly never forgives himself for that but to trans but it's hard to just hate oneself it's very easy to t turn that hatred to somebody else. Hey, I had to do that because this guy started all these rumors. And yeah, so right. he does all that vengeance. But once he sort of achieved his vengeance, what's he confronted with? Well, I killed my sister. And uh, he can't handle that. Like, he clearly can't handle that because he kills himself. Like, he, <laughs> he shoots himself in the head in the elevator. 
I think that's kind of what happens. He achieves his vengeance. Uh, but once he's done that, where do you have to go? Well, you have to confront the thing you never did confront, which is you killed your sister. <laughs> uh, that's the part that bothers me. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right there. But it, it's, I mean, uh, one of the uh, recurring themes, uh, if I recall correctly from uh, Lady Vengeance, and I assume probably was in sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, uh, is that revenge is a perfectly adequate thing to live for. But if it's all you're living for and you achieve it, what do you have left? Yeah, I think they say that even in this movie. Yeah, I mean, even even in Old Boy, somebody says something like that. It's not a subtly delineated point in this. I didn't mean to <laughs> know. <laughs> um, it, it, it's it's right there, smacking you with its dick. Uh, but, uh... <laughs> yeah, what's that quote like? When you when you seek revenge, start by digging two graves or something like that. I mean, all three movies definitely have that in spades. Yeah. yeah. I like a um, good. Else... No, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to ask you about this. I, you know, aside from how different Odesu and Lee Wujin look i've noticed that there's a 14 year difference between the two actors uh and they're supposed to be classmates so, oh yeah. yeah yeah that was that was so, pretty noticeable lee, lee Jin can afford to have work done that is true <laughs> he kind of reminded me of patrick bateman in a way except patrick bateman with oddly a soul <laughs> in, in some twisted way whereas you know there's something going on back there. With, whereas with you know Patrick Bateman, there's really nothing going on back there. He's able to empathize. Uh, American Psycho uh, was uh, filmed what two years after this, I think. Oh, was it? I, I mean, uh, I mean, the book was from the '80s, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The book had been around for a while. The movie, I think, was 2005, but uh, I don't know. I've been wrong before. Looks like it's looking up right now. <laughs> 2000. I mean, just, yeah, I mean, and, and like, you know, his penthouse kind of gave me that Patrick Bateman kind of vibe, like all the, the, the angles and how austere it was and the way he takes care. Of, I mean, granted, a lot of it's medical in old boy, the way he takes care of himself obsessively kind of gave me that feeling. If I learned anything from this movie, it's do not piss off rich people. <laughs> <laughs> I even read a take that this was this was a movie about class warfare where you know the upper class controls and pulls all the strings and and desu is just you know the lower class and he doesn't have any free will and he's you know just constantly under the thumb of these rich overseers i don't know what you guys think about that idea i didn't really read that into it i, I was gonna say that that feels like a bit of a stretch uh it sounds like a good uh, class paper though i would say it is not that, 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 is, because, that is kind of how Korean culture operates. Like the people who run the Che balls are like the antagonist and they lord it over the, the rest. It's not it's not entirely inaccurate. Actually, that that you you might be the guy to ask this one. Uh, I would uh, I would I would say I was feeling like uh, that was a bit of a stretch because they don't directly go into uh, Odesu's background particularly. Um Therefore, uh, just in terms of the culture, can we assume that because he isn't super rich, then there is an implicit class distinction between uh, between him and Li Wu Jing? Yeah, it, yeah, that, he's definitely of a different class. Definitely of a different class. Yeah. 
And, uh, but you're saying that for at least for the original audiences, that would be just a, an assumed aspect without anybody having to go into it. In the it would be understood, like when you see him in the when you see him in the police uh, station near the very beginning, and he's just this drunk. And the way the cops interact with him, he's just an ordinary salary man, basically. You know, he's just a salary man. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, uh, in fact, the way he interacts with the cops is very much revealing of it, where they just get annoyed with him and they're like, just lock this guy up. <laughs> if he was uh, if he was an important person, uh, they they wouldn't dare. Uh, you know, they just they wouldn't dare. I love uh, it's it's only been very recently where like the the more uh, uh, like if you're a powerful rich person in Korea, you can kind of escape justice. You can kind of just realistically the same about America, but um, yeah, perhaps yeah, a no, little, it, perhaps it's, it's a little bit. Any, it's true of any society at some level, but uh, but it's a little more obvious. <laughs> Maybe a bit more acute and uh, up in your face, slapping you with its dick in Korea, <laughs> right? Well, there was a, I mean, there was a case recently where uh, there was the daughter of somebody that runs Korean Airlines, whatever their major airline carrier is. So it's extremely wealthy family, extremely connected. Um, and, you know, they ran out of peanuts or something on her flight or ran out of something. Uh, and she threw such a bitch fit and they and made them turn a this is a commercial flight, made them turn the flight around, go back to the gate and go down and get more food or whatever it was she wanted. And like, you can't just turn a plane around and you're like, well, we have to end our flight plan and come back and land. Like, like that's disrupted to the entire system of how flights go. Uh, but basically she was given a slap on the wrist for that. <laughs> wow. I was about to say the only way they're turning the plane around in, uh, in America is if they're taking someone off it in shackles. Yeah, but uh, it became so public that the that the family was humiliated, and the father had to apologize, <laughs> which is a big deal. It's just a it, it's a big deal to make an apology. I, I would say uh, that the remake does show that there there is a bit of that class uh, class warfare in there. In that uh, uh, Josh Brolin is just a regular salary man who is crushed by a billionaire. And they make it yeah. very clear that this guy is a billionaire, specifically. Yeah. Interesting. No, like as I say, there uh, there are aspects. I don't know why the uh, the uh, the remake is so underrated. I actually thought it was rather good. Uh, well, when, and I, there, there are points in which it streamlines the story uh, in, in ways that make it. Uh, kind of feel a lot more effective as a mystery uh yeah again it, it lacks basically any of the humor that uh the uh the, that the original had with the notable exception of having a performance by Charlotte copley well it i don't is... think they intended to make that humorous yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his his performance is uh his, his performance it it is uh, it is so out there that uh, that uh, it uh, it retains some of the more overt phosphorescent bug fuckery of the original without really having to do the uh, the heavy lifting of incorporating it into the narrative as an element in its own right per se. <laughs> uh, 
if again, if that makes any sense. No, he, he does do a lot of that weird factor heavy lifting. He he really gets into the part. But whether or not it was a good performance, uh, that <laughs> I would say no. I don't think good is a word that can be objectively applied to that performance. Uh, again, at the same time, it, it, it's not necessarily a good performance. It's not necessarily a bad performance, but it is exactly the performance he intended to give. That's a great way of putting it. <laughs> I do, does recall that, uh, that some of uh, that a lot of Spike Lee's other movies do have a certain low-key outreness to them that's usually kind of isolated in one part of the picture. Most of the picture can be relatively straightforward, but uh, then you get stuff like uh, like Samuel L. Jackson's performance in Jungle Fever or you know, John Turturro and Do the Right Thing, uh, or Samuel L. Jackson uh, to some extent in this, and uh, and to a, a massive extent, Charles Tu Copley in, in, in uh, the, uh, the remake mm. of Old Boy. Oh yeah, I forgot that Samuel L. Jackson played the he plays like the overseer of that hotel type place, right? Yep. Yes, yes, he did. The guy who loses his teeth and gets his arm chopped off. And does, the, does that happen in the remake? I haven't seen the remake in so long. That, that did not actually happen in the remake. Uh, no, it's worse. But... <laughs> in some ways, it's worse. He straight tortures the man. Like he starts cutting off pieces of his throat uh, in order to, oh. yeah, and then pours salt in the wound and rubs it in and. It's just really, it's a much, in some ways, uh, the film is more, it's it's kind of the opposite of Cape Fear. The film is more brutal to its main characters and less uh, less brutal to its side characters. There's no, a, like I said, I thought, I, I, I was pleasantly surprised by the remake. Uh, uh, worth, worth noting, in case I buried the lead, well, on balance, I do like the original <laughs> old boy. Um it's hard to say you you like the film, really. Like on 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 balance, I think it is a good movie. It is well, I mean, it's it's been literally probably about fifteen years or getting close to that, uh, at least ten since I've seen it. Uh, I have a very large video collection, so I uh, so I get to watch things very 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 uh, intermittently. Um, so I'm I'm maybe in another ten years, I'll give it another look and I'll see what I think of it then. Um, I think this is probably I, my last screening of it. I I, I think two is enough. I, I know if 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 anything, <laughs> I, I, I'm not exactly anxious, but I think at this point, uh, especially because I have only seen it the one time, uh, I am probably more willing to revisit the remake uh, again. I I was uh, I was expecting from what I had heard that it was probably a little bit underrated. I, I, in in my opinion, it's actually a lot underrated. Uh, and uh, indifference to the common consensus on that one, that it doesn't add anything to the story. I actually thought it added some very interesting things to the story, uh, in, including I like the ending better. It has a certain um, bookending elegance to it that I don't really get from the uh, the original. Uh, granted that, well, I mean, obviously coming afterwards, uh, you, you get to keep the parts that you like and drop the parts that you don't uh, when you do the remake. They also filled in a couple of plot holes in the in the remake. Uh, they mm. breathed uh, they breathed some more life into Mito's character, who's played by Elizabeth Ol- Olsen in the remake. Yeah, she, she actually felt like a fully fleshed character. Right. Um, you really no, you really come to care about her. Yeah, not just a walking plot device. Right. <laughs> now they did double down on what happened to his wife, which bothered me a little bit, but. Uh, 
I didn't think it was necessary to go as far as they did, but they did. And oh, well. Bit of this, bit of that. Um, <laughs> also, notably, coming from a period where, not to put too fine a point on it, uh, the uh, the immediacy of rape or threats of rape were just kind of more acceptable as plot elements at the time, right. uh, at least to the people making the movies. Yeah. They always that's, bothered me, you know that. <laughs> Well, no, absolutely. I mean, that's one of those things that I think, thankfully, has started significantly to recede, except, of course, for the fact that Outlander is still on the fucking television. <laughs> that has some women behind it, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, it's yeah. all written by a woman. Yeah. The, the books are written by a woman. Yep. And she has everybody raped at one point or another. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's why been, I stay away from it. Well, I mean, that's men and women, right? Both men and women get raped in, the, in that series, so it's equal opportunity. Oh. That's a bad. That's a bad variation on the uh, Oprah thing. You get raped, and you get yeah. raped, and everybody gets raped. <laughs> no, the, uh, uh, I, I, again, like I say, I can't particularly fault uh, the uh, the series uh, Outlander for uh, uh, for maintaining stuff that was, if anything, even more widespread in the novels. But that doesn't mean I, you know, condone it or have to watch it after the first season, which is where I left off. <laughs> Just be, just because it, it, it's uh, it's woman directed rape doesn't mean it's not rape. Yeah, I, <laughs> it, I doesn't make it any better. It's it's a trope I'm I'm particularly tired of. It's used uh, it's used to poor effect in my opinion. Uh, it's been used to good effect, but by and large, I find that it's a trope that's used simply to push the plot along. It's a plot device or a scare tactic more than anything. Yeah, no, it's as I say, it's 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 probably over an overdue thing that it's uh, receding as a go-to plot device. It's interesting the way things age. Uh, I mean, especially <laughs> uh, the um, when this was made, it it uh, struck a lot of people as uh, kind of a brave new frontier in cinema, and in many ways it was, uh, but. Uh, this is going to be uh, uh, probably a bit of an overreach in terms of metaphor, but uh, you know, just like uh, *Birth of a Nation* brought uh, brought uh, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people into the cinema, didn't mean that it aged well. Um, <laughs> oh, I will, I will say that one of the the sequence where he's on the old school grounds and he's sort of trying to track down something that he remembered when he remembered seeing the brother and sister together in that classroom, and he's sort of chasing after himself in the past. You know, because there's these the way it's done with and the sh and the shots with all the stairs going up, it almost looks like an Escher painting. Just a really well done sequence. Just really, really nice, really interesting visually, and a nice way of demonstrating sort of the concept of like he's going back in time and trying to remember what it was, what happened, what did he see, what was it. You know, it was oh, uh, that, that was really nicely done. Oh, again, the film is absolutely faultless from a standpoint of technique. It's uh, fantastically acted. It's fantastically directed. It's fantastically edited. It's fantastically scored. Uh, it, uh, uh, it is very far from being my favorite Park Chan-wook movie. Uh, he's, if anything, significantly matured as a director. And he is one of those, uh, one of those guys that, to the best of my knowledge, has never actually made a bad film. Granted that I haven't seen all of his movies. 
Uh, but he's also uh, one of those uh, one of those directors who, anytime that I hear he has a new project coming out, I tend to look forward to it. Yeah, I would second your recommendation of The Handmaiden. That was an excellent movie. That actually caught me by surprise. I actually found out about that movie mostly because of I heard this isn't why I watched it, but there was a lot of buzz about all the lesbian love scenes in it, and I ended up watching it not for that reason, but was was very pleasantly surprised. It's a very it's a very good movie. I'm. Well, I actually would like to go back and watch the other Vengeance movies at this point because I'm curious if I will like them more than uh, than Old so, Boy. So one thing, there's no rape in the first one. Um, <laughs> there is, there is female on female rape in the in the third one. So be aware of that. Okay. But uh, they're not as quite as. I mean, they're all very dark. They're all very um, messy and and very very yeah. relentless. But... In, in Lady Vengeance, the uh, the scene with the uh, the actual videotapes of uh, of the kids that's the one that uh, that, uh, that that's yeah probably I... about the most upset a movie has made me since uh, since uh, I was you know something like eight years old and watching the Ice Pirates on television and there's that one bit where the mo motorcycle goes over the robots' families. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> that, well, I, I will say. I, I thought of you because you told me about this. When I was watching that movie, that, that was very a very disturbing sequence. And I thought about why that was there because I felt like I was being punished by the director when I was watching it. And then I realized the ending, what follows is so satisfying, cathartic, but also dark. And I feel like he he wants you to reckon with what is about to happen before, before that satisfying ending comes. That was the best explanation for why I thought that, that really disturbing sequence is in Lady Vengeance. Which, yeah, like I said, nobody nobody gets out who doesn't have a limp. Um, yeah, which I know it's hard to really understand what we're talking about having not seen this movie. But that's yeah, that was just my take on that very intense sequence from Lady Vengeance. Interesting. I say aside uh, aside from the caveats of you know c concern uh, uh, as far as the uh, the other Park Chan Wook movies that I've seen, Thirst was fantastic. Uh, Stoker, his American debut, I thought was really interesting. Uh, the miniseries that he did for AMC uh, slash BBC of uh, of uh, John Le Carre's uh, The Little Drummer Girl was uh, a, a a terrific piece of work and uh, um, a, a sort of a significant uh, mark of uh, the uh, ascendancy of the incomparable Florence Pugh, who is uh, one of my uh, uh, favorite uh, young actors working at this point. So he's. Uh, uh, he's uh, he's got the guy has a very very solid career and uh, his most of his films are seriously worth uh, worth looking up. All right, well I think that's gonna about do it for us tonight uh, today whenever you're listening to it. Say that. Did what? you did you have any final thoughts, Nate? Uh, I think I've made I think I've made a lot of my thoughts pretty clear. The ones I really wanted to talk about. Um, I don't like the film. I still don't like it. Uh, it's just, it's too much. Uh, it's too relentless. And, and I think there are too many, there are too many plot holes in the story for me to really be able to, I can't suspend my disbelief with it. I'm just not capable of doing it. That hip, that hypnosis thing. I'm going to harp on that. Yeah. I do want to say, think, I don't think he does anything quite that goofy in most of his later films for what that's worth. <laughs> oh, we yeah, didn't well, miss I mean, we met, we for, we didn't mention the octopus scene. That oh, uh, what do you want to say about it? I <laughs> uh, nothing really. I mean, he eats a live octopus, and that's something that people do. I I I don't 
I did not find that scene disturbing like a lot of people say they do. I mean, yeah, I well, I mean if you're going to eat octopus, at one point it was alive, and at a subsequent point it ceased to be alive. So, uh, in difference to the way that Italian cannibal movies would occasionally, uh, you know, kill real animals on screen just to kind of give a, a, a sense of verisimilitude, it doesn't have that same repugnant quality to it. Because one way or another, he was going to eat that octopus. You, uh, octopus, you can kill it in uh, in uh, in uh, on uh, in sight. Uh, you can uh, kill it out of his sight. But you know, what? Either way, it was going down his gullet. Yeah. And I think it works thematically because he's got his sort of Dice has got his sort of Inigo Montoya speech where he says he's like when he finds the guy, nothing's going to be left of him because he's going to eat every bit of him. Which of course he says to Lee Woo Jin at the end, and then immediately backtracks and starts begging. Um, which I thought was hilarious. You know, that's where, there's a there's something weird in the human psyche that is related to that because I can't help but remember in Othello after he's killed Desdemona but before he realizes that it was a it was his take to do so. Uh, he said, "Had all her hairs been lives, my 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 great vengeance had stomach for them all." So there's this some concept of like vengeance and consuming, eating the thing. That, that there's just something almost not necessarily universal, but almost universal about that. There's a relation there that's just very uh, physical and upsetting. <laughs> I, I hope that uh, next week we don't. <laughs> Let's pick something a little uh, a little nicer for next week. <laughs> All right. We'll talk about that after we end the stream. <laughs> That's going to do it for us here today on What's on the Pile. Uh, next week, we'll be watching the more recent Tenant, Christopher Nolan's latest twisty-turvy sciency y epic. You can find us on Twitter at What's on the Pile or go to whatsonthepile.com. Thanks for listening.